0: We're going to continue our series. We started this last week. It's called uh, "A Better Way," and uh, we. Uh, my reasoning for naming this is that a lot of times, and if you if you didn't get last week's message, make sure you go to our website and uh, and watch it on there. But a lot of times, when we think about the new year, uh, we you know we. Many of us make resolutions or promises or commitments or whatever it might be. And one of the words we use sometimes, and I do, I have, I'm going to try to avoid it a little bit, is the word best. It's like, this is going to be the best year of my life. And I'm going to do this best. I want to have this best. And we we mean well, because we want something better than before, but I realize that best is not it's it's not always setting us up for some good things right I mean how many have ever actually experienced something best that you men, you pursued to, to be best right but then as soon as you experience best what do you want you want something even better than best so here's my thought what if we just sort of put best on the shelf for a moment maybe this year and we say you know what I want I just want better (laughs) I want a better year than I've been having I want to be a better person than I've been I want to experience better in my relationship with God it may not be the best but it's gonna be better I want to I want to I want my relationships to be better I want to be better financially I want to be better in all these other my family my marriage I just want better and what if we just did that every year right just all the time we just want better and we realize that God even wants better for us because the, rea- the, the reality is this, the fact is this, when you make a decision and you say Jesus I believe in you and I want you to be my Savior and Lord I accept forgiveness and salvation at that very moment you become a brand new person. The Bible says our past is gone, it's wiped out, you're forgiven, you're a new person, and you get a brand new start in life. But here's the thing, it's only a start. It's only the beginning of a journey that you are now on to follow Jesus and to go go after the things he has for you and to get better. Every moment of every day, God's will for you is to get better. Because here's the thing, even if this year... Everything and everyone in your life got better. You realize, wow, my job is, things at my work are getting better. Hey, my finances are getting better. Hey, my relationships are, my marriage is pretty good. It's getting better. You know, all all of a sudden things around you began to get a little bit better. But if you didn't, you realize that there's still things in your life that are not getting better. Life would still be a bummer. Things around you are getting better, but you're not. That's even more frustrating sometimes, right? God desires better for each one of us. And so, I want to challenge us this morning. What does that look like? Because until you get better as a person, chances are things around you aren't truly going to get that much better. So what does better mean? Well, a simple definition of better is that you become what God wants you to be. You just become more and more what God wants you to become. Somebody's phone? There we go. Anyway. All right. That was awesome. Anyway. <laughs> Wayne, was that you, buddy? No, no? Okay. <laughs> But here's the thing, better doesn't happen by accident. You don't go to bed one night, and you wake up the next morning, and somehow, throughout the night, everything in your life just got better. You got better as you were sleeping. No, it takes hard work. It takes intentionality. You have to figure out, what are some things in my life that need to be better? How do I work on those things? I work at them. I need a plan for me to be better. So if my life is truly, my life, your life, is truly going to get better, it starts with you, you becoming a better person. Here's, here's God's idea. okay, If you have your Bible, you can open it up to Peter, both first and second Peter. A lot of the verses are going to come out of those. And uh, I'm going to start with Second Peter chapter one, verse five, all the way to verse eight, because this is an idea. this is a God's idea of you, the progression of you becoming better. And here's what he says. In view view of all this, you got to read the first part of that then. Make every effort. There's the hard work part. You make every effort. You work really hard to respond to God's promises. Then he says, supplement your faith. In other words, add to it. This is something you do. Nobody else can do it for you. You add to your faith. Uh, he supplemented it with a generous provision of moral excellence, moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. We're going to talk about that one. Self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love for everyone. And he says this, the more you grow like this. In other words, the more you get better at every one of these. You grow, you get better. The more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how God wants us better? (laughs) In every area of life. Just as much as you may want to be better, God wants it even better, more than you do. You know, a lot of times people will say, you know what? And, and they mean well. You probably said it. You've heard it. Interviews. When it comes to your purpose in life. So what, why are you here? What's your reason for living? What's your purpose? In well, my purpose in life is I just want to make the world a better place. You ever hear that? <laughs> Sounds awesome, doesn't it? It doesn't work. Why? Because you can't control almost anything in the world, right? There's nothing. Almost everything around us is out of our control. You know what you can control? There's about 13 or 14 inches of life that you can control, and it's the distance between your heart and your head. That's it. That's the only thing you have control of. And here's the thing. Once you work on that, you work on your heart, and on, on your head, and you get yourself in a good place, a better place, guess what happens? When you become better, the people around you become better, and all of a sudden, you begin to make your world a better place. So that's really the, the honest part of that. So what, what can I do? What do I do for me to become better? I've got three things, I've really been working at this uh, over the last weeks, even months. And so what I wanna share with you today is what what God's really laid on my heart. And I I realize these three things, they might be a little challenging, a couple of them, but if you get these and you get better at these, it will change your life. It will completely change your life. Number one is this, write this down, okay? I get better when I commit to kindness. When I commit to kindness. In other words, just being more kind to people all the time, whenever I can. See, your kindness to other people is probably one of the most powerful influences you can do. to. If you want to change the world, your world, Kindness is a very, very important part of that, a factor in that, because in today's world, you are expected, in other words, you are ex- you're almost expected to respond to things of this world out of anger, almost with a hatred and retaliation that's sort of what comes that's expected right when something big happens those are the kinds of responses and reactions people give and the world would say if you get really loud and if you get obnoxious and you get angry that just means you've got conviction way to go way to stand up for what you be- way to speak out for what you believe in even if there's zero Love, kindness, and compassion involved. But what if? What if you as a human being were committed to do the exact opposite, to do what Jesus said? And that you would choose kindness in every situation, no matter what? And what if you responded to the evil around you and what if you responded to people around you by simply doing good to them how about praying for them how about even blessing them instead of anger hatred and retaliation second peter chapter 3 verse 8 says this love each other as brothers and sisters be tender-hearted And keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with what? A blessing. blessing. And you're going, that's hard. I don't want to do that. (laughs) But that's what it says. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you. When you do that, he will grant you his blessing. In other words, when you bless others, even when you feel they don't deserve it and you don't even want to, that's when God begins to really bless you as well. This is one of the most powerful things you can do. Just simply kind, be kind. But it's also contagious. If you want to impact and you want to change your world, like the song says, I don't want to go there, but try a little kindness, right? it really works but you know as i was thinking about this and this is just me i'm just sharing my heart a little bit what's especially troubling for me as a as a pastor is when is how christians sometimes treat each other i mean we're we're really supposed to be kind to each other right and 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 how some people feel that it is their like their life mission to publicly criticize and call out other Christians for doing things that they don't think they should do, when they don't agree with what they're doing. And just let me say this, that we as Christians, remember Jesus told us that that by our love for each other, the world would know that we are Jesus' disciples. Okay, that's in John. But what happens is when the way we treat each other, the world is watching and the world sees the Jesus that you and I represent to them. If we as Christians are are criticizing and, and calling each other out and hating on each other, that is the Jesus the world will see and they'll go, well, I can do that without Jesus. But if people see you and I being kind, being encouraging, being compassionate, being forgiving, being, being generous, they'll say, wow, I- I've never really seen that before. If that's what Jesus and his people are all about, I- I'd like to know more about that. Kindness, folks can be a powerful, powerful witness to the world. Ephesians or 4.32 says this, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So I would ask, I, I know mo- all of you know this, the answer to this. Which part of this verse gives any of us permission to be mean to each other? The answer is not none, right? All about compassion, kindness, forgiving each other. All right, that's number one. Number two, the second thing is important. If we're going to be a better me is that I need to develop self-control. Self-control. Now, the deeper we go, the more potential we have of a few of you saying Ouch. So I'll just say it for you. Ouch. Okay? Um, Think about it. So many, so many of our mistakes and so many of the regrets that we have in life, uh, they they come from a lack of self-control. I mean, maybe the words that we've spoken, the feelings when we act out of feeling and we react and we didn't have self-control and we find ourselves in a situation we go... I wish I wouldn't have done that that was stupid I just made a mess of this I made a mess of this relationship I made a mess of this situation I wish I could take it back I wish I would have had some self-control any takers on that I think all of us right self-control is when you take a moment you just take a moment before you say and do anything and you think about the consequences of what you're about to do, is this going to be helpful? Is this going to be beneficial? Is this going to be destructive? And you just ask that. Self-control is when you put the well-being of other people ahead of your need to express yourself. Instead of Responding to someone. I I mean, just I've felt like this a lot. (laughs) I haven't been perfect in this. But to respond to someone, whether it's writing something, speaking something, saying something, and you're like, oh, I want to say something so bad. And you take a moment. And you go, oh, I need to set them straight. But you don't. And a day later, something has happened and you're going, oh, boy, am I so glad I didn't do something or say something. That's called self-control. None of us have done that perfectly, right? <laughs> That's where all these regrets and remorse and, and things come in. And self-control isn't just a good idea. It's God's idea. God requires it of us, of his family, of his children. Here's some verses. I'm just going to go down. This is a sampling of some of the verses in the Bible that talk about the need for us to have self-control. 1 Peter 4.7 The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. 1 Peter 1.13 So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. 1 Peter 5.8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, growls around, prowls around, roaring like a, a, a lion looking for someone to devour. Be self-controlled. Proverbs 25.8, 28, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. What does that mean? It means you have no boundaries. If you lack self-control, you don't have any verbal emotional mental physical boundaries you you don't have guardrails it's just whatever comes out whatever you feel like doing is your response for a person who lacks self-control if you lack it or if you've had moments of lapses in self-control you know how destructive it can be right I mean, there's a lot of things. It can, it can destroy relationships. It can put you in a really bad place in life. Nothing good comes from it. Whether it's your emotions, having self-control with your emotions, self-control with your words, with your actions, your responses. How about with your habits? How about with your your money, your spending? If you lack self-control in spending, it can put you in a really bad place. If you lack self-control in eating, in food, it can be a big health issue for you. In other words, a lack of self-control in any area of your life can put you in a really bad place. And it affects the people around you. So, where, where do, how do I get some self-control? Well, there's, there's two ways. These are very simplest, simple, but they're necessary. First of all, you have to want it, okay? And you have to work hard. You have to make a commitment where you say, you know what, I'm tired of just being out of control. I'm tired of not having restraints. I'm tired of just saying what comes to my mind, about doing whatever I feel like doing, of responding and reacting, sort of my first response. And you have to want it. You have to work hard at it. That's where it starts. But the other one, and this is really, this is awesome, is because even though God says you're supposed to have it, he also says, here, let me help. (laughs) And he has his Holy Spirit. When you ask and allow the Holy Spirit to just fill you and control you, that's one of the things he does. He helps you with self-control. He's there to do that. Matter of fact, in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says this, God did not give us a spirit that makes us afraid, but a spirit of power, love, and what? Self-control. He gives it to us. He gives us that spirit. He gives us the ability to now have it. So the more that you surrender, the more you give of yourself, the more you say, Holy Spirit, just control me. Take over my life. The more he develops things like self-control in your life. Now, he doesn't do it apart from you. You can't sit back and go, okay, (laughs) Holy Spirit, do it. I I want self-control. Go for it. No, what he does is, if you notice the fruit of the Spirit, Okay, this is in Galatians 5, and 23, for when you are controlled and you live by the Holy Spirit, he produces in you these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, we talked about that, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Long-suffering. Self-control, long-suffering, self-discipline, all together. And so what happens is, the Holy Spirit produces these things, Alongside of our desire and hard work to work on these in our own lives. That's what he does. He, God is so eager for us to have self control. Number three, third one. Okay, we have kindness, we have self control. If I'm gonna be a better me, I need to cultivate a clear conscience. A clear conscience. Paul says this in Acts 24, he says, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and before man. What is your conscience? Well, it's a little bit hard to explain, but you all have one, every one of you. Matter of fact, it's one of the things that God gave every human being when the, he created them. Your conscience is that little, almost like a voice, but it's, it's that awareness, that knowingness in your mind, deep inside of you, that tells you the difference between something that's right and something that's wrong. So if you're, I mean, you have it even as a child. You don't pay attention to it a lot because you don't have much self-control. Ah, they go together, right? So when, when you feel that, when you're about to do something, okay, you're, you're a kid and you, your mom or dad has told you, don't you touch that, and you, that's your conscience holding you back, okay? Your conscience is saying, I better not touch it. But your lack of self control says, but this could be fun, <laughs> okay? And so it, it, it stays with us all your life. And, and you know it. Some of you, I mean, we've all had a guilty conscience at one point. I'll explain that a little bit. But we all have the ability, God put it inside of us, to know the difference between right and wrong. When, something, when we're tempted with something. The reason we're tempted is because it's something that wants us to do something that our conscience says we shouldn't be doing. Does that make sense? Now here's the thing. The more you don't pay attention to your conscience, the worse off you're going to be. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter one, it tells us that you can get to a point. People who constantly ignore their conscience, they go against their conscience. The more it says the, that God allows their consciences to be seared, to be cut off to be non-effective and he allows people to do whatever they want to do. We don't see that in life anymore, do we? It's all over the place. There are people everywhere in every aspect of life who have no clue the difference between right and wrong. Or at least they act like that, right? That's because they are not paying attention to their consciences. Now why have Why have all of us had a guilty conscience at one time or another? Well, because the fact that we all have one, and the fact that the Bible tells us from the very beginning, we are all sinners. Okay? Let me have a a show of hands. How many of you have never done anything wrong? (laughs) Therefore, okay? If you admitted that, you'd also have a guilty conscience, probably just from that. Now here's the thing, because we have all done something wrong, our conscience is guilty. Now here's the problem, here's what this whole point means. When we have a clear conscience, it doesn't mean it's never been violated, it means that we've dealt with it. We've been forgiven. We've confessed it. We've, got to, we've taken care of everything with everyone that we know of, and our conscience is clear. It doesn't mean we haven't done wrong. We won't do wrong. It doesn't mean that we won't ever sin again. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. It just means that when you have a clear conscience, that the moment you do something wrong, you disobey, you offend somebody, you do something that hurts whatever it is, the moment your conscience says, oops, you just did something wrong, you go, okay, I'm going to deal with it. I'm go- I want a clear conscience. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to do what it takes to get rid of that guilt because I want to have a clear conscience. There's nothing more, at the very least, annoying in life but it is also very, very depressing, discouraging, and it can wear you out if you live with and you hang on to a conscience that has some guilt in it. I mean, it's always there, right? Some of you this morning, you have that. You have some things in your life that you need to deal with. You need some, there's some people you need to deal with for you to have a clear conscience here's what it says in first timothy 119 paul says cling to your faith in christ and keep your conscience clear for some people have deliberately violated their consciences and as a result their faith has been shipwrecked (laughs) that's a pretty good description right if you live with, if you have an ongoing conscience that is not clear, it is guilty, you have something in there, it's always nagging at you, if you're not careful, it will shipwreck your faith. Now, it may not take it away, but it'll be a mess. You won't know which end is up. Very important. Now, what 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 is a, a clear conscience? I've talked about it a little bit. Here's, here's sort of a... a Dictionary definition is to feel free from blame, obligation, or similar burden because one is guiltless. Now, it doesn't mean perfect. It means you, you no longer have guilt in your, on your conscience. My definition is that you can stand before God and you can stand before everybody in your life and you can say, we're all good. <laughs> There's nothing between us. As far as my part, I've done everything I know to do to make this a clean, clear, guilt-free relationship. That's what a clear conscience is. If you're going to get better, if you're going to be better, a better person, this is a very, very strong requirement. Hebrews 13:18 says this, Pray for us, we are sure that we have a clear conscience because we are all we always want to do the right thing. We always want to do the right thing. So how do I develop one? How do I get one? If I have something, if there's something in my mind that's sort of nagging, and if I know there's something between me and someone else, or or maybe me and, I just don't feel like good i I don't feel like i'm having a this clear awesome relationship with god there's something there and i know it's not god because he's perfect so it must be me how do i deal with that okay so write this in your notes the very first thing i need to do is i need to do a comprehensive evaluation in my heart in my mind in my soul actually i let god do the evaluation. Here's what it says in Psalm 139, verse 23. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. There's my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. There's my mind. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now here's the thing. If if you have something in your life that is that is not it's not a clear conscience as i've been speaking here this morning just in the last five minutes somebody has come to your mind a situation has come to your mind a conversation has come to your mind and you're going oh i think i need to take care of that that's what an evaluation is. That means God's already been br- working in your mind, your heart, bringing people, things, and situations into your mind that you need to clear up. And it may be as simple as a conversation. Okay? It may be just, hey, there's something between us, and I'm not sure what it is. Every time we're together, I just feel awkward. And sometimes they even avoid you at Walmart. I, you know, all these things, you know... <laughs> What is it? I just, I don't know. And maybe it's a simple conversation. Maybe it's been a misunderstanding. Or maybe they're like, well, remember that one time and you said this or you did that? That just really hurt. And you'd clear it up. You deal with it. You ask for forgiveness. But here's the thing maybe you're going, I don't know. I think I'm fine. But you pray this prayer Search me, oh God. Is there anything in my heart, in my mind, with anyone else, with you? And then show me. And I guarantee you this is one one thing, one of the things that God will answer and he will bring to your mind. It may be a flood or it may be one at a time. He will bring situations. He will bring people. He will bring words to your mind. And he says, okay, here's one. Take care of this one. Here's another one. Take care of this one. And then you do that. An evaluation. And then we go to the next one. It's I, I come clean. The next thing I do when, thing, when there's an evaluation, when things, people, situations have come to my mind, then I confess it. What does confess mean? I just admit. Maybe there's something I need to confess to God. We know when we confess to God, he forgives us immediately, right? Maybe I need to confess it to someone else too. Maybe I need to make something right. Maybe I need to repent. Repent simply means I change directions. I do something differently in my mind, in my actions, in, in the direction of my life. Here's what it says in, first, in James 5:16. It says, "Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. What does this mean? Well, it has multiple meanings like many many verses in the Bible. It does mean your sins. See, when when you have sinned, you've done wrong against God, against other people. When you confess it to God, you tell God, and he forgives you instantly. But there's something that goes to the next level is when you find a person, a friend, a trusted friend, somebody who's a believer, somebody who can help, who's on your side. And you say, you know, can we talk? I just, you know, I, I, I have this thing going on in my life, and, or I've had this thing, and I've talked to God about it. We're good. But I just, I, I need some encouragement, I need some help, I, I need some healing from this. And you just tell them. You just share whatever it is. It may be a bad habit that you've had. It may be a relationship that was inappropriate that you had. It may be a situation where you just really messed up and you still, you just need to talk to somebody about it. I mean, this is, this is what a counselor does. You share these things with a and, and they help you to be. And, and it says when you do this, there's something healing about it. The forgiveness part's already been taken care of from God. But all of a sudden, the, the weight of what you had, the guilt, maybe the shame, the whatever, the frustration you've had because of this situation, even though you're forgiven, you're still... Oh, I don't want to carry this by myself. And you, so you sit down, you share it with somebody else, and you go, oh, man, do I feel better. Man, there's something powerful about just telling some." That's what, it, that's what this verse means. You, you confess, you talk to, you, you share, you admit, you make other people aware of the things in your life. And there's healing that comes with that. When you come clean, you simply take responsibility for anything and everything that was yours, that you did in any situation that has caused a hardship for yourself or anyone. It may be 95% their fault, but you take responsibility for your 5%. You come clean. If you want a clear conscience, that's what you do. Then number, the third one, the last one. This is the, probably of anything I've said here today, this is going to be the most powerful thing you can do. And that is I commit to forgive. I forgive. I let it go. I don't hold on to it anymore. I I would challenge you, all of us, that 2023 be the year that you forgive anyone and everyone that you need to forgive come clean make this the year that you have a clean clear conscience so when it comes January 1 of 2024 you can say you know what I'm good I have a clear conscience, and there isn't anybody that I haven't forgiven and released for whatever they've done. Now, here's the thing I need to remember. When, I, when we talk about forgiving anyone for anything they've done, we're not trivializing trivializing what has happened to you. For some of you, there's been some very horrible things that people have done to you. But here's, here's what happens unforgiveness when you refuse to forgive because they don't deserve it which is true none of us do right when you hang on to that unforgiveness the only person you're hurting and affecting by that is you it's not hurting them anymore they're been there, done that they're gone it's affecting you so when you choose to forgive what you're saying is What you did to me was horrible. It was bad. It was mean. It's messed up my life. But you know what? I'm not going to hang on to that anymore because I need to be free from this once and for all. And you let it go. It doesn't mean you're giving them permission. It doesn't mean you're okaying what they did. You're just being better. (laughs) To be better, you have to forgive. You have to be able to get to that point of doing that. The things in your past are either going to make you bitter or they're going to make you better. And the only way it's better is if you forgive. There's no shortcut. That is the path to betterness. You forgive and you seek forgiveness. Now maybe during this evaluation time, God brings to mind someone Maybe that you have hurt, you have offended, you've said some words, you've done some things to someone, and you didn't realize it or you knew it and you just sort of shoved it to the side. God brings them to your mind and you go, oh, yeah, I sort of remember that. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But maybe you need to go to someone and say, you know what, me and God have been doing some business here and he showed me that I need to to come clean with this. Would you forgive me? That's your part. You don't control what they do. You you did your part. Colossians 3.13 says this. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone. Who's involved in that anyone? Any, everyone, right? Who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. In other words, there's another verse. Jesus says, look, you need to forgive others because if you don't forgive, I don't really get this one. Theologically, I don't understand it, but I'm just going to tell you. Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. That's all I know about that. And I'm going to stick with it. In other words, how many of you think or suppose that between now and the end of December 31st of this year, you're going to need God to forgive something in your life? Okay, that would be 100%, right. So I suggest, because all of us need God's forgiveness, that we give forgiveness to anyone and everyone that we need to, that God brings to our mind. Here's the bottom line for today. You can read the Bible through 12 times this year. You can memorize books of the Bible you can quote and claim and name all of the promises of God, the thousands of them, every day. You can, you, you, you can do great things for God. You can be a prayer warrior that there's never been before. You can be a worshiper that just worships God with everything you got. I mean, you can do all these wonderful things. You can be a, a perp- person of faith like is never walk this planet. But if you're not kind to other people, if you don't have self-control, and if you don't have a clear conscience, it sabotages every one of those things. And it will affect every area of your life. Your relationship with others, your relationship with yourself, and your relationship with God. If you're going to be a better you, just better, not perfect, not not even the best, just better, every one of these needs to be a part of your plan, your strategy, and what you pursue with God's help.